Welcome to Hillside Baptist Church Podcast. We are a church that is committed to preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is our privilege to open God's word with you. It is our prayer that you receive the message from the man of God with an open heart. That through God's word, you are encouraged and equipped to face life's challenges. But most importantly, it is our prayer that you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior if you haven't already. If you'd like to connect with us, you can do so at hillsidebc.com, find us on Facebook, or send us an email at info at hillsidebc.com. We hope that you benefit from today's message and that you would share it with a friend. But let's now open our hearts and God's Word Romans chapter 5. Now, as we come to Romans 5, we are just encouraged here. And I know this is missions month and I should probably have a, a missions message, but I'll be honest, the Lord led in a different direction this morning as I was just preparing for Sunday. And, and as I looked at Romans 5, I realized that this is a message that we need today as we face all kinds of uncertainties. And as we look at the, the news, if you paid any attention this weekend, and we saw Israel being bombed uh, by Hamas this, uh, this weekend, and we look at the uncertainties that abound, and they're saying that Iran could possibly pull into this. And, and I just want to encourage you that we serve a God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He, the Bible says in Malachi, He never changes. He always is and always will be. He knows the end from the beginning. He is the Alpha and the Omega. You see, God is everything. And so today as we come to this, I realize that there are times in our life where we face tragedies and sometimes a Christian life seems like, well, God offers a pie in the sky after you die, but what about the here and now? And I just love the fact that God's Word speaks to even the now, even the right now, no matter what you're going through and where you're at. And we, and we are encouraged by the glories of heaven, amen? I mean, I come to passages like Revelation 22, and 20, uh, as we go there, Revelation 21, and we read all about the things that await us in heaven, or 1 Corinthians 3, or, or no matter what it may be, and we are encouraged by the promises that we will one day behold. We will one day see God face to face. Okay, well, y'all aren't excited, but I am. I'm just the prospect of being able to hold Christ's hand as we walk down the streets of glory. I tell you, that's something, something to imagine. But what about right now? Does God hold our hand? Does God walk with us in the things that we go through now? And I'm thankful the Word of God speaks to that today because if we think we can just, if we're, hey, listen, I'm just going to make it through the drudgery of life so I can enjoy uh, the moment where I'm in heaven. Listen, you're going to miss a huge blessing in the midst of life. You see, because God didn't put us here just to anticipate the rapture. And God didn't put us here just to anticipate heaven, but God has a purpose even in the tragedies of our life. God has a reason that even in these difficult and dark days that God says, I've called you, church, you are called by God to live in 2023 in a time and an era when people are turning their back on God. He says, listen, you are my light. You are the ones that go into the world and share the light and the hope of gospel with the lost. So Paul encourages us. I love some encouragement from the Word of God. So I'm just going to go over some of those promises of the Lord this morning. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 18, he says... For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Isn't that good to con contemplate? The things that you're going through right now, they, you won't even remember them in heaven. 
You think about all think about the worst thing happening in your life right now. In heaven, you won't even remember them. Won't that be good? When in heaven are banished all sorrow and tears, all those things are gone, death and pain and sickness. With a heavenly perspective, that idea then, we can face uncertainties. I love what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians as he's writing to the church there. He says, for our light affliction. Now, we think about light affliction and we think about a mosquito bite. But his light affliction, he's referring to shipwrecks and beatings and stonings and being left for dead. When he deals with this light affliction, what he's saying is, it is nothing. What we would consider like life-altering, maybe even faith-changing. He says, this is just light affliction. It's just for a moment which worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. He says, listen, my perspective is so much greater than just the light afflictions right now. You see, my, what I see is more than just the tragedy of the moment, but the triumph in eternity. You see, it's the reason we're encouraging our church to memorize Colossians 3. My, we, we were driving down to Galveston. I know you're not supposed to touch your phone anymore. How many of you are abiding by that law? Don't answer. No, never mind. We have police officers in our, in our uh, congregation. But so we're driving down the road, and I can't have my phone open, but I can have my, my, my Bible open because it doesn't say, Thou shalt not have your Bible on your steering wheel. And so I'm driving down to, down to Galveston, and I've got my Bible open, and I'm working on memorizing, memorizing Colossians 3. And we're driving through Houston. Isn't that a fun place to drive? I did not do it there. It was the open straightaway, not a lot of traffic. But I'm, I'm working on this memorization together. We're gonna, I think Brother Jacob tonight is going to help us, encourage us there. But this is what Colossians 3 says. This is one of the reasons we want you to memorize this. If ye then be risen with Christ. Are you, are, are you born again believer today? Amen. Amen. He says, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection, your desires, and that's where we should be focusing on. Everything that means anything to us should be laid up in heaven. He says, set your affections on things above and not on things on this earth. Why? Why should that be a perspective? He answers that in verse 3. For ye are, what's it say? Dead. And your life is hid with Christ and God. So when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with Him in glory. Isn't that wonderful? Is it, listen, the promises, the reason we have a heavenly perspective, the reason that we have hope in the midst of tragedy, the reason that we can continue, the reason that we can say, God, we trust in you no matter what may come, is because, listen, I'm dead to this world and I live now for Christ. And I'm looking for that day. I'm looking for that day when Christ, who is my life, shall appear. Then shall I also appear with Him in glory. Not because I'm deserving, but because of His great grace. You see, it's the grace of God that's given me this tremendous gift. And so we sow fruit here. We labor. We, we come to church and we sing praises to God and we lead others to the Lord. And, and, and listen, there is an incredible promise that those things that uh, will not be forgotten. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 13 through 14 reminds us in that scene in heaven when God will reward. He said, every man's work shall be made manifest. What you and I do every day will be revealed for the day shall declare it, because it, is, it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. Man, what a glorious thing. 
Listen, all those little things when you uh, offer a cup of cool water to somebody you don't even know or, or, or you just follow God in obedience in even the smallest of matters and nobody sees it. Listen, God says not one thing will be forgotten. Why do we serve the Lord? Well, we serve Him because we love Him. If any man love me, he will do my commandments. He will keep my commandments. And so God reminds us over and over again that, listen, He is the reason that we serve. He is the reason that we give our all. He is the reason that we have for living today. And so the reason that we serve Him, and we look forward to the day when we'll be, we'll be rewarded, but the reason that we do it is because we love Him. Let me remind you, if you're serving in one of our church ministries, maybe you work in our children's ministry, a teacher or a worker. Remember, we're not just telling Bible stories we're helping our children to put their faith and trust in Christ for their salvation. If you're serving in a nursery, let me just encourage you, every time you hold that child and you breathe a prayer over that child for them and their family, listen, you're doing it uh, in the name of Jesus Christ, and we're hoping and praying that God will use this time in the services where God can capture the heart of a, a mother and a father. Every preschool teacher, and everybody loves the toddlers, amen? Amen. My mama's called them the terrible twos. I said, Mom, it's not terrible. It's terrific. It's the best age ever. I said, I love the two and three-year-olds. And I said, because they just soak up everything. They're like little sponges. And boy, what a joy it is to serve. But listen, no matter how you serve, let me just encourage you, those are rewards that will not be taken away. But if I could be frank, there's times when eternity in heaven seems a long ways away, Right? i got to live day to day. I've got bills to pay. I've got uh, medical issues. I've got some other problems. If these things weigh us down. There's relational problems, and there's all kinds of things that happen. And so uh, how does the tomorrow, the hope of heaven, help me in the here and now? Well, that's exactly what Romans deals with. And in Romans chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, we see that we are eternally sure, secure in Jesus Christ. There's nothing that can take us out of that. He says, listen, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing that can separate that. We are eternally secure in Him. But when he gets to verse 3 through 5, which we're going to look at today, what he begins to look at is saying, listen, even in the tragedy, there's triumph. Even when things in this life seem horrible, he says, God is still on the throne. Romans chapter 5, let's look there, verses 3 through 5. He says, And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. Well, wait, let's just back up. Just, just think through that just a second. He says, and not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. Okay, so he ties this to the previous thought, this idea of salvation in Jesus Christ, being eternally secure in Him. And he says, yes, we glory in our salvation. Amen. Aren't you glad you're saved? Yes. Amen. But then he says this, but we also glory in our trials. A whole lot less amens on that one. How many of you have a flat tire and say, woohoo, I'm so glad I got a flat tire? I can't wait to get out of, the, out of the truck or the car and get my brand new suit all dirty. And I remember one day, an alternator went out on my truck and I had a brand new white shirt on. Well, if you've ever had an alternator go bad, you know you're dead in the water. And so here I am on Battlefield and West Bypass and, and right at that intersection, it's a perfect place for your truck to die. And I'm, I'm right there, and I'm thinking, oh, great, this is great. Brand new white shirt. I just said, thank you, Lord. No, I didn't, but I, that's what I should have said. He said, listen, can you glory in those trials? Can you glory in those tribulations? He goes on and he says this. But we glory in tribulations also. And this is why, if I could interject that there. Knowing 
that tribulation worketh patience. And patience, experience, and experience, hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Let's pray. Father, we can't help but just say, wow. I know in my own life, Lord, there's times where I fail miserably in being able to glory in tribulations. But God, help us to see that everything you draw us into, Lord, is one, it is you that's at work and you that we can trust and you we can glorify. So those that are going through great trials right now, Lord, you know who they are. I just pray that even this morning they could rejoice in your goodness. So God, as we've read the word of God, help it now to penetrate our heart and help me. Lord, I, I'm insufficient for the task ahead. I love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You see, the reality is that we will face problems in this life. Job, who is a godly man, had a love for God who is unsurpassed in his generation. And he said this in Job chapter number 14 and verse 1. He said, man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. He said, listen, I've had a lot of trouble in this life. God blessed him richly, but he still went through the fire. Personally, he knew the heartache and the sorrow of life that's associated with terrible tragedy. He knew what it was. He lost his family. He lost his finances. He lost his health. Yet in all of those things, he never lost his faith in God. See, here's the, here's the truth. Tragedies will happen. It's not a matter of if, but a matter of when. And it's often said, listen, life gives you lemons, so make lemonade. Well, that's a lot easier said than done, amen? But making lemonade with life is not always our response. Sometimes we choose to become bitter, not better. Listen, good, godly believers can sometimes respond to tragedy in a way that turns them away from the Lord and makes them bitter in their heart instead of turning to trust in the Lord and leaning into Him and saying, God, in the midst of this, Lord, I'm going to trust in You more. And it's in those things that we have a simple question. How can we triumph over tragedy? Paul simply said, we glory in tribulations. That's what he said that right there in that opening phrase in verse number three. But not only so, just like we glory in our salvation, we glory in tribulations. This word glory means to glory, to boast, to rejoice, to make boast or joy in. It means literally to rejoice in a thing. He's telling Christians, listen, we should rejoice for the trials. He writes in, in the, uh, to the church in Thessalonica, he says, rejoice evermore. Easier said than done. It's easy to do in church. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. We can sing that. How great thou art. How great thou art. We can do that, can't we? But in the midst of the trial, can we still do it? When somebody that you love is laying in a casket, when the doctor comes up and says, listen, you've got cancer. He says, pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Today, we live, Christian, in an environment where troubles are inevitable. But listen, troubles are not insurmountable. Do I need to say that again? Troubles are, are, are inevitable, but they are not insurmountable. John 16, Jesus said this, In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. What's he say? Say it with me. I have overcome the world. Isn't that good? 
our Lord, our Savior, our risen King, He said, listen, I've overcome the world. Listen, you may go through tragedy, you may go through times of great trial, but listen, don't worry, don't fear, because I'm greater than those things. Do you believe that today, church? Man, I say, no matter what we go through, God calls us then to rejoice. That's what it means to make lemonade with life's lemons. It's seeing from God's perspective that all things work together for good. Romans 8, 28. It's not just a cliche we read, but something we can put our, uh, something we can bank in. And he says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. So how can we rejoice, not just in the trials, but for the trials? Sometimes it's easy for me personally to say, Lord, I hate the trials, but I love you. Amen. But how can we go, God, I not only love you, but Lord, I love you for sending this trial. Here's something I want you to remember. Suffering strips away false securities and drives believers to God, the source of all hope and compassion. You know why we rejoice in trials? Because it strips us down of everything we are and we have to stand completely helpless before God. That's why some people become bitter instead of better. Because they can't stand what they see. So there's three things that Paul lays out for us and in, in why God says, listen, all things work together for good. And these three things, when we will lean into the Lord, when we will trust in Him, when we glory in those tribulations and, and we say, Lord, I trust You and I love You for bringing this my direction, God produces some things in our life. And he says in verse number three, and not only so, but we glory in tribulation, but knowing that tribulation worketh patience. Let's look, look at first off that product of patience. It's interesting to know that our English word tribulation is from the Latin word tribulum. In Paul's day, I think I've got a picture of it, there was a, a tribulum was a heavy piece of timber with spikes in it. And oftentimes, it would be used for threshing the grain. And so they would, the tribulum then was drawn over the grain and it separated the wheat from the chaff. Now think about it like this. As we go through tribulations and depending on God's grace, uh, the trials only purify us and help us to get rid of the chaff. See, tribulations are working to, to work out the garbage and to make us more pure for Christ. See, this word patience means a steadfast or perseverance. So in other words, instead of giving up in the midst of it and saying, God, I can't stand you for doing this, and so I walk away from you, what, it, what, it, what instead it says, Lord, I don't understand it, but Lord, I'm going to trust you in the midst of this. It's this idea of abiding under. It's easy to abide under when things are good, right? It's easy to abide when, when life is good. It's easy to abide whenever, uh, you know, the, the bills are paid and the kids are healthy and, and everybody's doing well. But it's a whole lot harder to abide under the Lord when things are not going good. When it seems like bills are behind and the kids are uh, just barely hanging on and it seems like there's chaos in your home. But let me just share with you. One of the proofs of our salvation is pers perseverance. Now, perseverance doesn't bring salvation. That's not what I'm saying. It is a proof. It's an evidence that you are saved is that instead of drawing away from the Lord in the midst of trials, you draw to Him. 
Because that is the response of the believer saying, Lord, I don't understand, but God, I do trust you, and I want to walk with you in this, and I want you, Lord, to be Lord of my life above everything else. You see, that's the response that God is seeking in our lives, is that we will say, God, in the midst of this, I still love you. In the midst of this, I'm thankful for you, even for this that we're going through. Remember Philippians 1.6, he says this to us, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in us will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. God didn't give up just because things get hard. You see, when we abide in Christ, the Bible says that we bring forth much fruit. Much fruit. Jesus Christ talks about this specifically in John 15, 5. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. So those who then detach themselves, they fall away, they turn their backs on Christ or fail to abide simply show they have a lack of saving faith. Abiding is not what saves us, but it is a sign of our salvation. And so when things become difficult, there is a temptation then to quit. Yet our difficulties don't have to be a reason to quit. They can be a means of abiding deeper in Christ. For example... There was a Korean Christian who had gone through great persecution uh, and pressure from the communists in North Korea. And he used to say this. He said, we are like nails. The harder you hit us, the deeper you drive us. And what he was saying was, listen, the more persecution we go through, the deeper our life in Christ is embedded. Almost like he was saying, Lord, hit us again. This is the idea of Perseverance a willingness to, to drive deeper into our love of God with every punch that's thrown your way. You know, what I've, through every trial, everything that we go through, God is looking to refine our faith. It's looking to build us and strengthen us for the things ahead. What we don't like is that they oftentimes leave us vulnerable. But let me remind you that in that moment of vulnerability, there is one who comes along to help. His name is Jesus Christ. He says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. You see, we never are alone. We don't walk through these trials but beside, uh, all, all by ourselves. Instead, what we find is we have a companion. In Proverbs 18, says, He is a brother that's, uh, a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And this is the very blessing that Paul had found in 2 Corinthians. When physical pain and weakness of this body threatened to bring him to nothing, what he found was he was driven deeper in a relationship with his Savior. And he said in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, he said, and he said unto me, talking of Christ, speaking to Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee. My for my strength is made perfect in weakness most gladly. Now Paul speaks and says, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He would say, listen, I'm thankful for this trial because if it's done nothing else, it's given me a deeper, more abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe physically he was limited, but spiritually his life was anew. And he said, I will gladly boast in my weaknesses because it's through Christ that I'm strengthened. Remember, he would write later in Philippians, he said, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. And I urge you, I urge you, I, I just want to just to encourage you, if you're going through the trial, that God is working to build in you this desire to be faithful, steadfast. It's that product of patience. The second thing he noticed is we go from patience then to this word experience. 
In verse number 4, See, tragedies produce patience, this willingness to endure. And it's this willingness to abide in Christ that experiences can really help us. And so for the believer, trials work for us, not against us. And so no amount of suffering, let me remind you, can separate us from the love of the Lord. Romans 8, this is a great passage if you're in the midst of trial. Let me just remind you what he says in Romans 8, 35 through 39. For who uh, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation... No suffering, no tribulation, no distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor heights nor death nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, later he would ask this question, what can separate us from God's love? That's right. She said, nothing. And that's exactly what he said. You see, instead of when persecutions come and when trials come, they don't drive a wedge between us and God. Instead, what they do is they bring us closer to him and make us more like the Lord in every way. You see, because suffering builds a Christ-like character. This word experience actually means character that has been proved. And so as you go through trials and you're learning to persevere, what God is teaching you is that in in your life, He is working to build a character that can be proven. Remember, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, gentleness, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And so He says, listen, as you walk through these things, they are building that character in your life. Something that you can rely on. But also, it proves the character of God. Consider, if you will, a student. How many students uh, love tests? I I hated testing. Some some students now uh, do poorly on tests and they just say, I've got test anxiety, I just can't do it. Well, it does help if you study before you go through the test. I learned that uh, as a personal uh, thing. I was always a lot less anxious about a test I had studied for than one I had crammed for. Amen? But listen, when we put our kids in, in school and then our school uh, teaches our students, and at the end of that, that, uh, that period, they always put them through a series of tests. Now, tests are to prove what has already been learned. Have you learned this sufficiently? If they haven't learned it, then the failure is, uh, must be reflected either on the teacher or the student. And so there is a failure, a breakdown somewhere in that. And so, but if a, t- a student passes that test, then what happens is it proves that that student has learned and that student is ready to take the next steps. Okay, it is in the fires of uh, of this preparation for testing. It's in the in the test itself that God uses to prove that our faith uh, can be relied upon, and that's the thing here. He says, "Listen, when you go through trials and you go through temptations and you go through these these uh, troubles and tribulations, he says God is proving that you can still trust in Him." David in the New Testament is called a man after God's own heart. Yet in order for that faith to have been proven, in order for that testimony to be shared, he had to go through a series of tests. There was Goliath. There was King Saul and his abuses toward him. It was his own foolish decisions. Listen, along the way, he was tested. 
And God inspired him to write some incredible, incredible things in the Word of God. Many of the Psalms are written by David. It was known as the sweet psalmist of Israel because he had known that God was walking with him. And this is the incredible part. I quoted this already, but look at Psalm 23 and verse 4. He says here, Yea, though I walk through... It doesn't say he's gonna, God's going to lead him around. It doesn't say that God's going to uh, maybe take him over. But he said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. You see, he said, listen, God takes us through sufferings. God takes us through trials because suffering brings the experience that the character of God is always faithful and that we can trust in Him. Remember Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We will never know the faithfulness of God unless we've been able to walk through the trial. So as we abide in Christ through the sufferings of this life, we learn that God is faithful. That's the whole idea behind experience here. He says, knowing this, that uh, tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience Taste and see that the Lord is good. So if you find yourself in a trial, let me encourage you to look to Jesus. Choose to abide in Him. Look in Lamentations chapter 3 with me, please, just for a moment. In Lamentations, this name means, uh, the, the, just the word lamentation is an expression or a passionate expression of grief. Jeremiah, who was um, the one God used to write the book of Lamentation, is mourning. So he, this is his expression of grief. Israel had gone through a great trial. They had been pulled out of their country and Babylon had come in and, and were destroying. And he's grieving over the loss of all that he had seen. In Lamentations 3, verse 18, he says, And I said, My strength and my hope is perished from the Lord. Remember, he's sorrowful. He's, he's bemoaning all that he's lost. He says, remembering mine affliction and the, my misery, the woodworm and the gall, my soul hath them still in remembrance and is humbled in me. Now he thinks about all of these things. He's contemplating how God has pulled him out of this. He's contemplating uh, all that, that he's been through and he's reminded, he's lamenting, if you will. His expression of grief is poured out here. But it doesn't stop with just whining. It doesn't stop with the complaining. He instead, he turns his mind to the Lord. Look at the next verse. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. What's he talking about? The next verse. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. He said, God's good. He says, I've seen, I've seen the, the worst tragedy that could have ever happened to the people that I, that I love, that I'm a part of, and yet I found God is good. And he goes on and he says, of God's mercies, they are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore, will I hope in him. I'm not going to hope in man. I'm not going to hope in Jerusalem. I'm not going to hope in these things. Instead, Lord, you are my hope. You're my everything. You're all I need. Jesus Christ has made to me all I need. This cry of God's faithfulness would never have been known except for God took Jeremiah through a great trial and affliction of his faith. 
Jeremiah, who was known as the weeping prophet, he endured pain and he endured persecution, yet he relied on the unchanging reality of who God is. In Chuck Swindoll's book, Starting Over, he tells a story of a woman who became a widow. He said this, The bitter news of Dawson Trotman's drowning swept like a cold wind across Shroon Lake to the shoreline. Eyewitnesses tell of the profound anxiety, the tears, the helpless disbelief in the faces of those who now looked out across the deep blue water. Everyone's face except one, Lila Trotman. This was Dawson's widow. As she suddenly walked upon the scene, a close friend shouted, Oh, Lila, he's gone. Dawson's gone. And to that she replied in very calm assurance with the words of Psalms 115, verse 3. But our God is in the heavens, and He does whatsoever He pleases. You see, all the anguish and all of the loneliness that was trying to normally consume her, instead she said, listen, my hope is in the Lord. My trust is in Him. My assurance, my reliance is upon God alone. Listen, what I've learned is that in the midst of suffering, God brings patience and this perseverance allows me to learn that God is faithful because here's the end result, that God brings hope. Church, let me tell you, God's not done yet. God brings us hope. A little uh, more than a month before he died, there was a famous atheist named Jean-Paul Sartre. He declared that he so strongly resisted the feelings of despair that he would just simply say to himself, I know I shall die in hope. But then later he would testify, but hope needs its foundation. He had nothing to place his hope in. As an atheist, he didn't believe in God. He didn't know what would happen after he breathed his last. And and so as a Christian, we realize that our foundation of hope is Jesus Christ. And so as God leads us through the valley of trials, it is there in the valley that God, we see, is the God of all hope. Romans chapter 15 and verse 13, Paul would again in this letter say, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing. You see, in the midst of the trial, what he was saying is God is the God of hope. God is the God who fills it with joy and peace, and that hope brings us joy and peace. The Apostle Paul knew what it was to have to stand alone. Oftentimes in his ministry, he would stand against the Pharisees. He would stand against the Sanhedrin and vile men who would destroy his life. But he would also stand against false believers and false doctrine. In the latter stages of his life, he wrote to Timothy, and he says of this time in 2 Timothy 4, 16 through 18. He says, At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray, God, that it might not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, I love this, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion, and the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work, and will preserve me unto His heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. And amen. You know what he's saying? In the midst of all that's going on, he said, this is what I've learned, is that even when nobody else is, is with me, God is with me. See, Paul never stood alone when he stood with Christ. The Lord was on his side, and God's presence brought him hope. I already alluded to Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 24. He says, A man that hath friends must show himself friendly, and there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. His name is Jesus Christ, and he wants to be your friend today. Abraham 
had a tremendous faith in the Lord. And like Abraham, our faith can draw us into a meaningful relationship. James says of Abraham in 2.23, he says, And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see, the foundation of our hope is when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. Thomas Edison was an incredible inventor. And is Ryan in here this morning? Ryan Witcher? All right, he's probably in our children's ministry today. It's his birthday. And uh, he loves, uh, he loves, he just wants to, loves anything he gets to invent. So yesterday we had a birthday party, I think, for, for him yesterday. And, uh, and I think Sister Cindy was Thomas Edison. Is that right? All right, she had some great hair. I wish I had a picture I could put up here. But Thomas Edison invented a lot of different things. The microphone, he invented the phonograph, the incandescent light, the storage battery, talking movies, and and a thousand other things. In December 1914, he had worked for 10 years on the storage battery, a place where they could store energy. And this had greatly strained his finances to the point where he didn't have much left. And and one evening, a spontaneous combustion broke out, and it filled his, first the film room, and then in just moments, everything, all of his laboratory was consumed. Fire companies from eight surrounding towns arrived, but the heat was so intense that they could not put out the flames. It was just, it destroyed everything. Thomas Edison was 67 years old. All of his assets had gone up with the whoosh. They, they estimated somewhere around $2 million in assets. The buildings were insured for 238000 uh, and, and so great loss to him. His son Charles, who was 24 at the time, searched frantically for his father and he found them just standing there, just watching everything burn. And when he saw him, he cried out and says, Hey, have you seen, have you seen your mother? He said, Get your mother. She'll never see another sight like this again. <laughs> his testimony was this. There is great value in disaster. All our mistakes are burned up. Thank God we can start anew. You see, we look at disaster and tragedy and we oftentimes, we can become bitter. And we can oftentimes complain and murmur against God. God, why would you bring this into my life? God, I don't understand if you love me that you wouldn't do this to me. We can become embittered in our spirit. Now we may still come to church and put on a smile on Sunday, but... That spitter has begun to rot what's on the inside. But I want to encourage you, if you're in the midst of the fire, you're going to go through it. Learn what the Apostle Paul was teaching here. That when we persevere by abiding in Christ, there's an end result that is hope. We can draw near to Him. We can find out that God's not done yet. Christian, let me just encourage you today. Abide in Jesus Christ. Maybe you've allowed yourself to become a little embittered. Maybe you've become a little bit uh, angry with the Lord about uh, certain things. And today he just invites you and says, come trust in me again. I'm enough. Maybe you're here and you've never put your faith in the Lord. Let me tell you, there is no hope for you. You see, without Jesus Christ, there is no hope at all. And so to have hope, it begins with salvation. That's what Romans 5, 1 and 2 says. Therefore, being justified by faith, not by my works, not by my, my, uh, my money or my penance or anything like that. He says, justified by faith with peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. You see, it starts with salvation. Before we can ever go through the trials with triumph, we must first understand that salvation is a prerequisite. And so if you don't know Christ as your Savior today, I want to introduce you to Him. First off, He is the eternal Son of God. He always has been, always will be. Secondly, you must know that He left the glories of heaven. He came to this earth. He died on the cross and He rose again three days later to bring you salvation. He died in your place. You see, but God commendeth His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Why did He do this? so that He might give you, offer you the gift of God, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And He offers that today, this hope of glory, this, this wonderful thing that we might be able to enjoy in, in eternity is heaven. You see, and it happens when we put our faith in Christ. But it's not just faith and, it's faith, faith in Christ. It's faith in Christ alone. He says in Acts 4.12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And so I must ask you today, have you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation? If you're here today and you, you don't know if when you die you go to heaven or hell and you've got questions in your mind, let me just urge you, let me encourage you, let me cry out to you and say, please, before we leave this place, don't leave this place unsure of your salvation, but come today, get it settled so that there would be no questions, no doubts, no wonders, and you can leave here with a peace that passes all understanding because you have peace with God. Thank you so much for joining us today. It is such a privilege to share God's Word with you. If God has spoken to your heart because of the message, stop right now and respond to whatever it is God is asking of you. Don't wait another minute. You can pray right where you're at and ask God for His help. If this message has helped you in any way, we would love to hear from you. Let us know if you have any questions or we can help you with your decision. Jesus asked his disciples, Who do ye say that I am? And he offers the same question to you today. What would your answer be?